0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Have you ever stopped to wonder what exactly success means to you? Is it money, fame, power, all of the above or none at all? I'm Dashran Johan, and this is Redefining Success, a show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their lives, what makes them tick, and what the word success means to them. My guest on today's show is Suzanne Mooney, founder of The Lost Food Project. Welcome to the show, Suzanne.
0: Thank you, Dashran. Thank you for inviting me on today.
1: Uh, Suzanne, before we get into the main topic of, of discussion, tell me a little bit about The Lost Food Project.
0: Sure. Well, the Lost Food Project is a sustainability food bank, which means we try and rescue food and non-food essentials like, for example, shampoos, nappies, toothpastes, things that we all need in our everyday lives that uh, is sometimes actually quite unaffordable for a lot of people. But we uh, try and rescue products that will otherwise be going to the landfill. So it Basically, if we take these products, if we can rescue these products, it saves uh, a big environmental problem because these products go into landfill, they create co2 and methane gases which uh, are very pollutant to to the environment and obviously if we can give these products to people for free then it saves them a lot of money um and uh yeah so it's a, it's, a, it's a good way to redistribute wealth a little bit and also help the planet at the same time
1: you uh run run an NGO how do you define success personally
0: Yeah, I think success is a very interesting word because it can mean a plethora of different things to different people. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I guess success is about... Achieving something that you know you you obtain something that you set out to achieve, so it could be you know success in your exams, or it could be um success. Then you know, when you're young and you know you decide you want to have this person to be your boyfriend, and then you go out and get him, you know, <laughs> yes, that's I right. got my man, or I got my woman. <laughs> so, um, that there's kind of different levels of success, but for me, real true success is when you actually have to put hard work into something, when there's a challenge that is difficult and you're almost kind of not sure whether you should do it or not because it's a bit challenging and then you achieve it. That for me is is real success and it could be anything. It could be monetary. It could be to do with your job. Um, but yeah, real success is when you have to work for it. To be honest, mm-hmm. you know, money isn't really the driver in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so on a personal level, I would say, you know, success isn't really related to money unless it's to do with the funds that we need for the lawsuit project which is obviously very important um but it's usually actually about legacy so if something is sustainable and has an impact on my life or has an impact on other people's lives then that is successful if something is just very temporary you can have a obviously temporary success but for, as I say, for, for myself, when I when I think about my biggest successes in lives are when there's like an impact. Like, for example, you know, when I was at school, um, I was told that um, I shouldn't do English. I shouldn't be a journalist. I should do science and maths. And, and I kind of kept doing this sort of thing that I was told not to do. And I eventually became a journalist a journalist right. and uh, that is a real for me was a big success because Absolutely. i was told not to do something and i kind <laughs> of tried to keep doing it anyway um so yeah i just think it's about thinking about what your dreams are um sticking to them and if you can make it work they're, they're the biggest successes
1: yeah now how suzanne did you develop your passion for for this for for, for the lost food project for fighting food waste Right. It's a very specific sort of course. How, how did you develop a passion for this?
0: Sure. Well, I think that, you know, in life, lots of us sort of come across you know, these, uh, these causes or, you know, the new chaps in our life by chance, Mm -hmm. a lot of things happen accidentally. And that was, you know, the same for me, There are certain kind of cues along the way. Um, When I was, I was living in Africa for a while, and I was waitressing, and I happened to be working in a restaurant. And, you know, we were throwing away bins of perfectly perfect food every day. And when I was saying to our bosses, um, because at the time there was it was just literally at the end of apartheid and and there was still very much apartheid, maybe not politically. But in reality, right. there was a big sort of um, distinction between the kind of the white kind of owners of the restaurant and the often the, the, the black, kit, the African kitchen staff. And it was, you know, for me, it was very wrong. And, you know, these ladies were like lovely, um, you know, and were working really hard and they were. Earning less money and they had, you know, family situations at home, sometimes alcoholic partners or partners that were violent, and they had a really tough time. And uh, you know, and giving these ladies this food would have just helped them a little bit. And uh, and this was before I even kind of went down the environmental sustainability side. I could see that there was the power to help these ladies a little bit anyway. And the bosses were just like, no, no, cannot do, cannot do, because these ladies will just—they're the ones who order the food, so they'll just order more. So I could see from a business side why that was their justification, but it was still wrong. So, and that's when I kind of, you know, sought out external people who could take it, like um, uh, soup kitchens, etc. Mm-hmm. Because I could see that's when the seed of thought kind of entered my mind but you know I was only traveling I was only like 21 at the time so you know um it didn't become my full-time career then Um, and then after that I met a really interesting person in America on a, a BBC trip to uh to an IVLP trip. Mm-hmm. And this guy really, really inspired me um, to show that, you know, community action and one person can make a big difference. Um, and then I've had just a few people I knew who worked in food banks in the UK. And when you join all these dots at some point in your life, you suddenly get to a point where you don't even realise you're going to. And then mm-hmm. it can happen. And for me, the magic was, was living in Malaysia because, you know what, if I probably didn't live in Malaysia maybe the lost food project would never have happened so it's very much a, a Malaysian sort of chapter time in my life where th- it was the perfect time for all this to come together and happen.
1: Now when you got the idea to start the lost food project and then you started working on it uh, did you were you um, or at the same time I'm um, doing something else uh, because my I guess what I'm curious about was when did you realize, you could focus on this NGO full time and make it a "quote unquote" career.
0: Yeah, no, it's you're you're right. It's uh, I mean, it's really hard for for most people, I think, to have the luxury and the privilege mm-hmm. to spend time working full time on uh, on a cause, because right. obviously most people have to, you know, pay the bills and you know feed the family, etc. And I've, you know, I've worked all my life and it's, uh, you know, I didn't come from a rich family or anything. So, you know, working is what I've, you know, I've, my first job was part-time job was when I was 13. So I've always, I've been a grafter. I've always mm. worked. So it, not working is um, a bit alien to me. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I came to Malaysia, I was on a dependent pass, which meant that I wasn't allowed to work. Right. So I would have become a, a journalist. In fact, I was talking to people, funnily enough, at BFM years ago <laughs> about working. Um, and, uh, but then I ended up, because I'd worked at the United Nations for a little while when I was in Switzerland before I came to Malaysia... I thought maybe I'll try doing some volunteering for the United Nations um, to do some, to give, give something back. Right. But when I started doing that, I realised it was when you work for a very, very big charity, someone else's charity, you kind of have to follow their rules. You have to do things in a certain way. And I could see the big impact that could happen if we if we if we're able to do things ourselves, mm. you can be more agile. You can come up with things that have in a more direct effect on on the communities. So that's, I guess, why uh, I started it. And I, at first, I was told it would never be a success. Don't even try it. So I thought it might end up just being a kind of small activity, not because of the food, because I know that there's so much surplus, there's so much waste out there it was because I was told by everybody it's not going to work, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to try it. And even if it's small, it's only going to help a few people, but at least I've tried it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, it kind of grew and it, you know and because of all the you know, amazing people and, and friends who helped to co-found it and and work really hard I mean it's it takes a lot of people one person can't do this on their own there's a lot of amazing people along the way that have done an incredible job um but yeah and then you can make it if 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 you've got the right people to help and you've got really good fundraisers and you've got solid people working in governance um then I think you know it, it can become a
1: career. Absolutely. Now, you know, I want to, you know, go back, you know, maybe years and years ago when you were still in, in primary school, in, in secondary school. Uh, how were you during your schooling days? Um, did you get good grades? Um, and, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, you for the longest time you wanted to be a journalist. Uh, what Sort of big, And then, you know, because you're a journalist and then now you're, you have, you're an NGO, which, yes, it's, a, it's different, but there's also some sort of um, sort of similarities there, you know, um, when it comes to that in, in terms of public service and, and whatnot. Uh, how were you always interested in, in these things um, growing up, uh, even as a child, like, I, oh, I want to do something for society. I want to, you know, I, I'm wondering what drove you to become a journalist as well.
0: We are all works of our upbringing. I guess I came from a generation in the UK where people were marching, you know, there was CND, people were marching against nuclear weapons. We were, you know, marching to have, you know, f- free milk in schools. Um, there's a huge support for the ANC in Britain. You know, all when I was a kid, all of us, you know, were singing Free Nelson Mandela, that song. <laughs> um, so I think we were definitely a generation that particular generation where children were very kind of connected with with politics not so much in a negative way not in the way that you know the whole trump and twitter and it was it felt very different it felt like people could have an impact and people should have an interest and this is what's happening in the world kind of way um so yeah i think when i was younger i always felt that you know we all should have an interest in in what's going on around us and you know, we can all be involved in in some little way to to make a difference. So uh, I think that definitely came from my parents and from the environment at the time.
1: What drives you to keep doing what you're doing?
0: I kind of didn't choose it. It seems to have chosen me, which sounds (laughs) a bit of a a weird thing to say, I know. But, you know, like I've got a lot of uh, history and background with, you know, the BBC and the UN and obviously I've worked in an NGO, and currently where, you know, I'm based some of the time in Geneva, it's probably kind of the logical thing to do is to work, you know, for an NGO or work for the UN or work for, you know, one of these big international organisations. And, uh, all right, it's it's often a boring subject that people just yawn They don't really want to understand or hear about then you feel that's out or you're not talking about kind of, you know, sexy subjects that, you know, are fun and will make you laugh. It's, you know, very somber sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it can be. You know, draining when you're trying to persuade people like companies to give you things and they're telling you, oh, we've got nothing when you kind of know they have and you're trying to persuade them in a nice way. Oh, but, you know, can we just you know, think about it and look and maybe, you know, it's it can be quite tiring sometimes for sure because, um, you know, you're always asking people to give you things. But really, you're not asking people to give you things. You're asking people to give society things. So, um, but it sometimes comes across as you asking people and, and nagging them sometimes um but so that yeah you know, as I say that can be a little bit draining on occasions but you know what when you look at the big picture and you see the impact and then you speak and you're connected to the beneficiaries and then you're less tired then you realize that you know what you're doing just feels like the right thing to do for you and uh and I look back on my life and I know that I will never ever ever regret you know this part of my life and uh and, and doing what I'm doing and instead I'm super lucky because not everyone gets to do something they really love and you know I, I know a lot of people in my friendship groups who have got really good jobs and they're earning a lot of money and many of them have they say they have no purpose in their lives um so yeah
1: it's on the show with me today is Suzanne Moon, founder of the Lost Food Project after the break I asked her how she measures growth We'll be back with more on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Darshan Johan, and my guest on today's episode is Suzanne Mooney, the founder of The Lost Food Project. So, Suzanne, you you know, you talked about your friends, um, you know... they, they are making you know they're doing certain jobs and and they're making a lot of money but they feel like they don't have purpose and, and things like that um but at the same time there's this thing where i mean it's undeniable that everybody needs money um, as well were there points where you felt like what you're doing now this part that you've chosen to take isn't going to work out and that you might need to quit and switch to a corporate job for example
0: Sure, there have been times, obviously, along the way where you know I've all, as I say, I've always worked, I've always had my own money. Right. and even in a relationship, you know my husband is has always been super super equitable and super fair, and he mm-hmm. he always counts you know our money as our money, even though I haven't in fact, I've been putting money into this rather than taking it out. so but he's always been super generous. However, you know when you when you're used to earning you know your money all the time, it it can be, difficult and challenging to uh to not have your own income so of course there's been you know times along the way when i've th- thought you know gosh if i could earn you know some proper money again and we can have nicer holidays or we can you know just you know we could if we wanted to you know get a you know a nicer car if, although I, the only car i really want to get really at the moment is a electric one but that's another story um but you know i think we all and it's human to kind of want to have nice things for right. sure. There's no, uh, and my kids as well, you know, my kids all want this, they want that. And and sometimes I say, well, we, we can't actually have it because, you know, I'm not working or, well, I am working, but I'm not, you know, earning, you know, corporate money. So, um, but again, I think that with sometimes a bit too driven by money, it's how much you need and how much you want. And there's, I think there's a gray area and I think people kind of, some people anyway not all people because I do understand particularly the cost of living crisis um and it's which is around the world and there's so many people who are on the brink so I have to be very careful what I say because I don't want to say anything distasteful but you know we as a family we are you know comfortable enough we can pay all our bills and we have food and you know we can sometimes have you know some holidays and things but um But yeah, of course, you know, I could always justify why I need to earn more money. But, you know, we can survive without earning more money. And if we can do that and I can do what I'm doing, then I would much rather just do this for as long as I can, for sure.
1: You know, I'm wondering if you've ever had this sort of existential thought about this in the sense that. You know growing up, you know we've, we've always we here you know you need to find your purpose in life, you need to give back to society and and things like that, which is great and and things that uh, you know I agree with and clearly think you agree with as well. But then you know especially in recent times, if not for, for decades already, um, you know once you, you, you actually enter into the working world and things like that, you uh, a lot of it is just about making money. It's just about, um, making money for, for a corporation and, and so on and so forth. And, and the work that you're doing may not actually be giving back to society in any sort of way. Um, in, in, in fact, more, a lot of times, uh, or more often than not, um, it may actually be damaging to society or the environment in one way or another. But yet when we look at paychecks, or, or you know fundamentally when you look at the money side of things um, it feels like the people who are doing uh, you know choosing to give back choosing to 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 actually do like you know add value to society and all are the ones who are having less uh, you know rewarded less in fact like sometimes you know you, you go to family uh, dinners or whatever I don't know whether if you have personally experienced this but people I, I've heard it you know and people will be like Uh, why are you stupid? Why are you doing this? You know, you can go to a corporate job and make more money. Uh, Have you ever thought about that? This this idea of how, you know, people, it could be friends, it could be family, society at large, just the system as a whole, tends to, you know, sometimes even brand people who are giving back to society as stupid, waste of time, and so on and so forth. And even if you're plundering and, and damaging society if you're making a lot of money people are like you're so smart you're doing so great uh, uh, you know i you know people more people should be like you and, and things like that have you thought about that and if you have thought about that how does it make you feel
0: yeah this is extremely interesting and one of my Heroes, who's Paul Polman from? Who used to be head of Unilever, who's now runs a imagine a really very interesting think tank. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's one of the top corporate people in the world. Actually, he was number two at Nestle as well. And it's all about, I guess, reconfiguring. I think his kind of argument would be that we have to get rid of this whole economic kind of framework that our society is is based on which is really difficult because human beings sort of psychologically um you know the we we're, we're driven we have certain drivers in our lives and obviously money is is a very simple way of of us having a reward system and keeping people in check and making people work and so you know a capitalist system is very efficient in in many many ways so you know we all get that however we've got to a point in society, I think, personally, where um, the earth is, you know, is, is being damaged. And we have to understand that, you know, if, for example, you have an area of land, if you only had a finite area of land, or, you know, if you think about, the, the the rivers and if you overfish and you have no fish left then what do you do you know so you have to be have some foresight into what we're doing with with the world so we have to value we think we have to reconfigure our value system and you know, of course, money has to be part of it. No one's suggesting for a minute we have total anarchy. and But we just have to reconfigure what real value is and come up with a system where people who are adding value to society, whether it be, I don't know, nurses or teachers or, you know, people who are conserving forests or people who are giving back to society mm-hmm. have more of a reward And, you know, you've got people who are making rich people richer. You know, how is that adding to society? So, and I'm not saying they shouldn't have their job, but I just think that we just need to think really carefully about how we construct our society if we do want to have a sustainable world.
1: What are some of the biggest challenges you faced? Because you've been running the the Lost Food Project for a few years now. What are some of the biggest challenges you faced running this organisation?
0: Yeah, well, I guess um, there's different challenges. There's uh, lots of different challenges. Like, as I said at the beginning, before we even started, we were told it wouldn't work. Um, So that's obviously challenge number one. And then you have challenges where some companies, you know, would say that, um, you know, there isn't any waste. Whereas, you know, it's kind of almost impossible. There's waste everywhere. Even if I said to all the listeners, you know you all have some waste at home some people say no no i don't have any i don't have any but we all have a little bit of waste it's kind of the, the nature of any supply chain that there, there can't not be waste and then you'll have businesses that um you know there's a one one man uh, or one woman you know band and you know they don't have time to uh, so you'll say can we take your surplus they'll say cannot cannot no time no time um so there's lots of you know things we have to overcome to even you know get the, the surplus products um and and then there's you know obviously challenges because we've only got a, a finite amount of resources so we there's I mean there's an endless pit of of food that we can we can collect but we can only collect what we can afford to in terms of our resources our higher our capacity um we try and explain to, to companies, you know, that we can have a bigger impact if we if we're given money to expand. So for every like one ringgit um that's given to us, if we um kind of invest it as a you know into expanding TNFP, we can give out five meals. But a lot of companies, you know. They might want to say, oh, like particularly during COVID, you know, oh, you know, if we give you sort of 50,000 ringgit or 100,000 ringgits, we can, you know, buy this volume of food. And it's Mm -hmm. nice because obviously people want to help people particularly in need. But as uh, the challenge for us is also to... um, explain the sustainability side as well as the humanitarian side because we're very much into uh, the environment and sust- sustainability as much as we are helping people. And sometimes that narrative Isn't as strong, um, but I feel that in the increasing years to come, it it will be. So uh, this is a challenge for us, Um, and the other challenge which which we haven't even started, but certainly in other countries, you know, people are actually eating food past even the best before never the expiry obviously but food is so good to eat for usually you know a while after and the manufacturers will give extension letters to say even though the best before date says i don't know the the 30th of may you know it's good for another two months or good for another three months um so this is another challenge we haven't really entered this arena yet but um but you know our narrative is to try and you know stop as much waste as possible because um you know like you know a a statistic i often give out is that in terms of deforestation around the world 74 percent of all trees are chopped down to grow food and uh, when you think that 30 to 40 percent of food is is not eaten you're talking about 25 percent of the world's trees are chopped down for absolutely zero reason Mm -hmm. and you think about all the habitats and all the animals are losing their homes it's uh it just doesn't make sense and it's it's just very thoughtless of humans to behave like that it's it's different if obviously we're eating the food i mean it's still difficult because we're destroying habitats etc but when we're not even eating the food so that's why i feel really passionate about food loss because most people you just don't think about it in in real terms and but you have to explain to people, you know, the whole way along the, the food supply chain, the consequences of our actions, and and sometimes you come across as preachy or sanctimonious, and you know, and I really don't mean to, because until I started doing this myself, I, I was very naive. I didn't understand any of this either, so it's just trying to highlight and expose to people, you know, what the there are consequences of all our actions.
1: Absolutely, on that. On the flip side. What has been your proudest or some of your proudest moments so far? Wow,
0: um, awesome. the proudest moments, I guess, uh, is when you often when you overcome the challenges. Right. I mean, when my kids say, you know, they're they're proud of something that we've done, you know, because often I've neglected my children, mm. and uh, and I feel you have a lot of mother's guilt sometimes when yeah. you you know you don't always. Um, you know always 100% there for your children all the time and mm-hmm. but because i feel so passionate there's been times when i just have been missing um i think sometimes persuading uh, you know some of the the bigger companies that um at first said no and we eventually wore them down and uh, we are working with them that's always uh, really very rewarding um one of the there's a couple of personal um stories i can and tell you that I think this is what drives me probably as a journalist because I love people's stories. Um, I remember sort of talking to one of our drivers once and he was saying that one of his proudest moments in his life, he said he was coming back from a lunch. He parked the truck up and he had gone and had lunch and was coming back to the truck. And he said there was a queue of people queuing up to try and get some food. And he was saying, oh, you know, sorry, we, we kind of don't give out food to individuals, but he sort of gave them some you know, explanations of you know the organizations we work with that they could maybe sign up to and get food that this way. And he said to me, he said, I was so proud to be wearing our t-shirt. He said it's uh you know and he's you know all our drivers have never really left they and i think that when you have people like that that are proud to work for you that just makes me very proud um you know and and you know and and chatting to some of the beneficiaries because at the end of the day it's about you know the people you know that we're we're working with and we're we're helping and when they say you know thank you so much for making uh you know, a big difference to my life, I can afford to, you know, send my, my child to school now, or I can, you know, do um, just something that I wasn't able to do before. And I just, I just feel so guilty that I, I'm kind of not in their position, and they have to live this kind of life. And it just makes me really happy and proud that you can have a little tiny bit of a an impact on someone's life. Right. So,
1: uh, I think yeah, that's really wonderful. Earlier, you, you talked about how, um, you know, especially when it comes to your cause, uh, it's not so much uh, driven for, by money. It's, that's not the driving force behind it. It's about the cause, it's about the impact and things like that. How do you measure growth?
0: Again, it comes back to that value question, right. because I think that, you know, that in um, in NGOs, you know, rather than ROI, which is return on investments, you right. can have SROI, which is social return on investments. And right. I think this is this is an area that needs to be measured more and more as time goes on. I think this is vital for me if I'm reconfiguring society. Um, I think this this could be like a game changer in terms of um how people are rewarded in life um you know some some of the things we do you know i would justify we do even though there isn't technically a an obvious uh reward as such is you know the, some of the educational work and some of the advocacy work because you don't always get you know money returns so you know fundraising is obviously an obvious way you can measure your growth or how much food we collect because we measure everything we measure our co2 we measure everything we have tight inventories so everything is done in a very metric way because i do believe that i'm a scientist i'm a biochemist so Mm -hmm. i do believe that data you know data of course it's not perfect and it you know hides certain things and it doesn't always tell the full story but i think it's really important to have data um but you know measuring growth is is an imperfect science um so yeah we do we can give people proper data in terms of you know where we're operating what the volumes are but some of the things that we do um only bear fruit later down the line and um yeah so it's difficult to to measure measure but Mm -hmm. we we do measure and we are growing so yeah we're in a good place
1: what does it feel like, Suzanne, waking up every day knowing that you're doing something that you love?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, there are occasions when you're not jumping out of bed every single morning. Because <laughs> um, then I would sound like a complete, you know, crazy lunatic. Um, but, uh, but you know, I had, a, I mean, one of my, I guess my first proper, proper job when I graduated, I was editing a, a science journal. And, you know, it was very interesting. And you, you need to have science journals because research needs to be published, it, even with, like with COVID and, and all the kind of discoveries in the scientific world. You definitely need journals. Otherwise, you, there won't be any progress. However, I did, I must confess, it was very technical and I did find it, you know, very boring on it occasions Mm -hmm. and I was slow because um, sometimes I I put something off because I knew it was going to be a really kind of uninteresting read but it was my job so obviously I had to do it Um, (laughs) but you know working at the BBC was was also very interesting so I felt very driven there and that I guess working at the BBC after working at the journal made me realise I'm better when I do something I enjoy because I you know give more and I do a better job and 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 with the lost food project it's even more like that than it was at the BBC because you know you just know um there's so much more we can do and and what a privilege it is and I just yeah I'm usually full of energy and uh and it's, yeah, and, and it's also the impact on communities and also the people I find that, you know, most of the people that kind of come in to to work with us as are like-minded. So it's a really interesting way to, to make friends and even more than friends, it's, you know, like lifelong friends, you know, because you're people with shared values doing the same thing, sharing the same successes. So it becomes, you know, very precious, I think. so. Uh, so, yeah, no, I'm... I am mostly full of purpose and um, yeah, I think uh, it's something that everyone should do a little bit Mm -hmm. actually for selfish reasons so they can feel happy and good about themselves.
1: I want to circle back to what you brought up very early on in the show, which is your definition of success. Um, And if you could hone it down to two words that you brought up was impact and sustainability, with that in mind your own definition of success do you think you are in a place right now where you consider yourself successful
0: well I don't know if I would consider myself to be successful I think some of the things you know we've done have been so far successful and I hope they continue to be Mm -hmm. successful I don't think anyone should rest on their laurels I think um you know, there's a lot more to be done. Mm. And I think as soon as you label yourself as a success, I think it all goes wrong there. And I think that's where leaders and some, not all, but some of the world's politicians kind of fail because they have hubris and they think they're doing everything well. And I think we all should be learning all the time. We should always be trying to improve and get better. So I think you can say you've been successful, but there's... should you should always have more
1: success in front of you, which you should be aiming for. One last question before we wrap this conversation up, Suzanne. Um, there are a lot of young people who might be contemplating um, working at or even starting their own NGOs. Um, they might be passionate about certain causes. But, you know, especially, let's say, even in, in Malaysia, um, whether it's parents or whether it's society at large, like people will just say, like... I, I, stop don't waste a lot of people might say you know don't waste your time can you just be more practical and pragmatic and and think about you know how you can make money and, and things like that Pro, you know proper money as some would put it um and that can be you know that that can shape the mindset for a lot of people and and sometimes you know it's difficult to blame parents they are their hearts in the right place they they the they, they, their, in, their intent is good but with all of that in mind, like, what advice would you give to people, especially young people, who are contemplating you know, either becoming an activist, working in an NGO, even starting their own one, but are afraid that there's just no future. They can't sustain themselves doing this.
0: Mm. No, I think it's a really interesting question, and I agree with the whole premise because, mm. in fact, you asked me about you know my school which i didn't really kind of uh, sort of uh, explain in detail right. but um when i was uh, the secondary school i went to was a a very um a, a very average school um it certainly didn't i don't think it really brought success for lots of people who went there i think uh, it was at the time people didn't really the parents weren't really as into measuring There was no kind of tables for schools so things weren't measured then um and the, the, i went to a girls school and uh yeah it, very few people went to university sadly and it's only looking back that you know parents could see um you know what the school was like i guess um and one of the teachers i had um for he was my form tutor was you know, when we're looking at our career options, he was saying to me, Oh, you know, Suzanne, you know, you, because um, I always said I wanted to be a journalist. And he always said to me, No, um, women can't become journalists. It's not the way right. the world works. And, That's terrible. You know, <laughs> I know, right? It's, but this is, you know, talking, I'm quite old now. It's quite a few <laughs> years ago. But he, and he was trying, a bit like you're talking about those parents, because mm-hmm. my parents actually have always been kind of, I think, very supportive of, of most right. things I've done I'm very very lucky and that's another kind of thing that I, I never ever under, underestimate the, the the support network around you I've had very supportive parents and a very supportive husband and not everyone has that you know yeah. um but my teacher he was saying no 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 you should be um you know a scientist or a, a you know you should be a a doctor or so I was pushed to go down you know this path which is why I ended up doing biochemistry really and, uh, but when I finished, um, I still thought I'm not really going to give up this uh, journalist thing. So what I decided to do, because, you know, maybe I couldn't, maybe I would be a rubbish journalist. Maybe I wouldn't make it. I didn't know, <laughs> but I thought I really do want to try this because it's, it's always, you know, I think I watched Superman when I was a kid and I always wanted to be Lois Lane or, right. um, and, uh, so I decided I was going to do, um, a teaching, uh, year so that I could be a supply teacher to fund I wanted to do be a part-time journalist put my toe in the water see if I could manage it and sustain it and my backup plan to pay for it was to be um, a supply teacher so you know we, we all get to where we want sometimes by going in circuitous routes that you know maybe not so obvious so I would say to people um of course you know not everyone can afford to to do this for free and it is a lot of work so I would say don't give up your your dream if you do feel passionate about something and you succeed it's the the best thing that can ever happen so um yeah so I would say you know never give up on your dream even if it feels impossible and you know almost unachievable because if everyone felt like that, then uh, nothing would ever would ever happen in life, and you can't ever achieve success without having failures on the way. And the most, I would say, the biggest lesson for me in life is not to be afraid to fail. The, the fear of failure is the biggest break on uh, success is the biggest problem for progress. Mm -hmm. And you know what, if you fail, as long as no one dies, it doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And and I
0: have have so many things that have, you know, that maybe gone wrong or not worked out Mm -hmm. quite the way I wanted them to work out. But you know what, you don't remember the failures so much. You remember the successes. The biggest problem in life sometimes is a fear of failure and yeah just don't be afraid to fail because you won't succeed unless you're
1: brave absolutely and and on that lovely note thank you so much for speaking with me today Suzanne thank you very much for having me that was Suzanne Muni. She's the founder of The Lost Food Project. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We are available on the BFM app, bfm.ly, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9.